Welcome to Teacher Prep with Dr. D. I'm a former elementary and middle school teacher who now works as a university professor. I believe in the power of teacher professional development is at the intersection of research and what's working in the classroom. My goal for this podcast is to support you in making informed decisions that are rooted in evidence and not just teaching trends. The framework for 21st century learning outlines the skills, knowledge, and expertise K-12 students need to master to be successful in work and life. These competencies are a blend of soft and hard skills necessary for the workplace. Learning and innovation skills prepare students for an increasingly complex and ever-changing life and work environment. These competencies include creativity and innovation, critical thinking and problem solving, and communication and collaboration. In short, while knowledge is important, knowing facts, dates, and recalling information really fails to scratch the surface of 21st century skills. In the age of Google, smartphones, and Siri, instruction really needs to go beyond rote memorization to prepare students for today's workplace. Along with the learning and innovation skills, all learners and educators need to be proficient in developing media and applying media literacy skills, analyzing information, and in ICT, information communications and technology. No one can argue that the implementation of 21st century skills requires an abandonment of 20th century approaches to teaching. Yikes! But how do we go beyond direct instruction and the infamous I do, we do, you do methodology when district mandates bootstrap teachers to instructional approaches which fail to inspire creativity, critical thinking, problem solving, and collaboration? In today's episode of Teacher Prep, Betsheva Frankel joins the show to talk about creativity questioning and Watch this, going grade list. Hey now, in today's climate of COVID-19 and learning loss, check out why this approach to teaching can really support students' self-esteem, inspire creativity, and foster a mindset of lifelong learning. Hey everyone, it's Dr. D and welcome to another episode of Teacher Prep. Today, we have Batsheva Frankel, who is an education consultant with New Lens Education, and she is the host and producer of Overthrowing Education. I love that title. Welcome to the show. How are you doing this afternoon? Thank you for having me. I'm doing really well. Thank you so much. We're glad to Yeah, we're glad to have you. You're doing so many amazing things in education and reframing what education is, but can you just share a little bit with our audience about yourself and what brought you into the field of education? Sure. I took kind of a a circuitous route to come to education. I actually was working in the film industry and I had thought that I'd wanted to be a film director and I was living in New York and then I moved out to Los Angeles to continue working in film. And then, um, 
one day it just, I, I felt like it was sapping my soul. And that doesn't mean that the whole film industry is like that, but for me, that's how it felt like. Right. And I wanted to do something more fulfilling. And I'd always thought that teachers were like the greatest. I, I was blessed. I had some bad teachers, but I was blessed to have some really amazing teachers in my life. And I always thought that education was like the most important thing. And I thought, but I, but I also saw a lot of problems in it. Right. And I thought I want to get involved in education, and, but ultimately I want to have a larger effect. I want to be able to really help change education. There were no such things as podcasts 25 years ago. So I didn't realize I was actually going to have a podcast that I would name overthrowing education, but it's sort of a natural progression and it combines my love of performance and editing and all of my skills that I did before in the performance world and in the film world. And I can combine those with my love and passion for great education. So um, that was kind of my trajectory. You know, I worked in the classroom for, you know, over 25 years and, um, and this is kind of the culmination. And I've been teaching uh, my other goal is like, I teach teachers mm. and that is my huge passion right now. I've been doing it for the last 10 years and it's really been growing a lot in the last few years. And then I just, uh, stopped working in the classroom this past year so I could concentrate a hundred percent on helping teachers, which I've been doing all over the world, which has been really nice. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. There's certainly something about teaching teachers where you feel like, wow, I, this really can have this amazing ripple effect. If I can change yeah. one teacher's way of teaching and, and tweak it and make it, you know, a little bit more refined or make them happy about what they do. And that can have that ripple effect on all the classes that they've worked with and so on and so forth. Exactly. And, and it, and it just, as you said, like ripple is a perfect um, visual for it because it's really about although this is a podcast, but, <laughs> but that idea of it just keeps moving forward. And so then that teacher influences all of those kids. And one of those kids might be a teacher who will then go on to, you know, do great, you know, or just, you know, be great students and creative thinkers and critical thinkers. That's really one of my biggest goals in everything that I do is try to promote critical thinking and analytical skills and, um, and creativity. Mm. Um, I think those are all essential parts of a great education. And I, it's often missing. So Absolutely. That's really my goal. Yeah. I remember the 21st century skills and those four C's came out and everybody's like, okay, so what does this mean? And how am I supposed to do this? Right. So it's, it's certainly a big leap for a lot of people. And, you know, for myself, it's like, how do I think outside the box to really, right make students feel empowered and give them a voice in the classroom. Right. right. And if, if people are thinking outside of the box, so to speak, they first have to figure out that they're actually in a box right? right? <laughs> and what that box is. Right. Otherwise you can't step outside that. And that's, and sometimes it means stepping out of a comfort zone, but uh, it's worth it. Absolutely. To, yeah. And I think 2020 has certainly been that space because we were all thrown out of the classroom and, Many teachers in the state of California, they've been teaching remotely for almost a year now, right? Yeah. So what yeah. lessons have you learned, have you seen um, in terms of this year of remote teaching and learning? Yeah, I, so many things. And, I, and it's such a good question. Uh, you know, I used to do all of my workshops in person. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell you, to, from my perspective as a 
teacher who gives, you know, an a ed consultant who gives workshops and so forth, but also because now I'm hearing from teachers all over, I'm working with teachers all over the country because it was a little bit limited before. It was limited to the schools that could bring me in, you know, and pay for it. Right. And fly me in and put me up in the hotel and whatever I had to do. It was a little bit limited. And and now since it's been online, I, I've just been teaching nonstop to teachers all over the country. And even uh, I did a workshop in China, for China, for teachers in China. And so it's uh, so for me, I've learned a lot um, of what teachers need. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is so amazing about this time that is that the teachers, so many teachers have stepped up to the plate and learned something new that they, even if they weren't comfortable with it, I've seen, I've been teaching, you know, easy tech tools to use to engage students and all, all kinds of workshops. And I'm really kind of blown away by some of these teachers and what they've accomplished, things that they never would have tried otherwise, but they were sort of forced to, and then they did it. And, um, you know, some, there were some resistors, but a lot of teachers really started learning some amazing tools. And all of those tools are things that they will bring back into their classroom. These are things, you know, I've been wanting teachers to do for years. Right. And now they're sort of forced to, and then the teachers who are already kind of doing that, also took it up to the next level. And, you know, teachers who are kind of stuck in that frontal teaching mode. Right. Most of them, they realize this does not work for remote learning. You mm-hmm. can't, that's not a good remote learning, you know, way. You have to find other ways to engage your students. So they're thinking very creatively and outside the box because they realize now with the box, isn't this ironic because we are actually talking in a box, right? <laughs> Our little <laughs> student screens or whatever, or Google Meet screens. Um, so it's, it's been really beautiful to see like this leaps and bound growth that these teachers that these teachers are doing and hoping that they bring that back into the classroom as they go remote. But there's so many challenges that they're doing right now, especially with like hybrid learning where some of the kids are in the class and some of them are out of the class. Right. And obviously it's so hard to teach when you've got a mask over your face and all your kids have masks over the face or you're in a zoom room and all, you know, half the kids have their cameras off and it's so many challenges, but I really feel that when they come through these challenges, they're going to find like, Oh, regular teaching is not nearly as hard as I thought. Like, you know, like right. it's like when you do all these muscles and you're really, you know, and you're really sore and you've done this challenging thing. Then when you do something, you go back to what was normal. Suddenly it doesn't feel so hard. So hopefully that's what will happen. Yeah. I mean, I think too, as a, as a parent who's kind of, you know, I, I will admit when that, when I found out in August, I was searching up private schools saying, hey, they're going back in August. I'm going to ship all three of my kids to private school. But then I was like, man, well, what kind of teacher educator am I? Like, I'm not going to ride this wave with everybody and live this experience. So I have to say, like, from a parent perspective, it's just been so amazing to see just how much like resilience I've seen in the kids and how much more self-directed they are and able to work independently. And like, even my daughter, who's only in second grade, she was, her and her little friends were in a zoom call today that they set up because they wanted to work on their math problems together. I'm just like, that's awesome. Mind blowing. Like, (laughs) you know, but it's just like, would this be happening if we were in the classroom right now? 
Right. And the other thing is now um, I think parents are going to be thrilled because parents used to complain when kids, you know, especially the younger kids, when teachers would have them do projects together and then they'd have to do some work out of the classroom and then they'd complain because like you have to schlep the kid this place or that place and, you know, it's a pain. So now they know that the kids can just go on Zoom and, and work together and collaborate. My son does it all the time. So, um, yeah, there's a whole new tool that we're all learning right? I mean, I never, you've been teaching online for so long, but <laughs> I never gave, it didn't even occur to me that I could give my workshops online. Like that wasn't even a thing. And as soon as everything shut down, my first thought was, oh my gosh, these teachers need to have some help here. Right. And I knew that I knew a lot of great tools and ways to engage students that I could share with them. And so the first thing I did was I gave this free webinar and I thought, okay, so maybe 50 teachers will uh, watch or, you know, be, it was an, it was somewhat interactive, but it was mostly kind of a webinar. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had over 800 teachers. Wow. What was the webinar on? It was called, um, it still is called um, creating online. No, what is it? Uh, Engaging online learners with easy tech tools. Oh, awesome. And so we can still (laughs) access that on your site or? Yeah, I I will. um, And I can give you a link and you can put it up if you have show notes. Um, Absolutely. The link for it. But yeah, but it's been I I had like hundreds of people watching it live. Mm -hmm. And since that time, even more. So and I have I sort of two versions. So I'll give you the I'll give you one of the versions. But between those two versions, um, yeah, had like over 800 people. That's so amazing. That, was, that kind of blew my mind. And that told me that there was a real need for that. Right. And so that's what I really, I, I've done a lot of focusing now that people are kind of more used to it and they're heading back. I'm starting to do going back to more of my pedagogical workshops, but I have tons of, you know, deep dives into different tools and all kinds of things that are really teaching tech along with it. Awesome. And, yeah. I know we talked about before the show, this idea of going gradeless. And I was like, Ooh, that's so interesting because, you know, my work with the teacher candidates and especially in an online school, you know, we tend to teach the way that we were taught. And so the teachers go in a classroom with the expectation of giving grades and being that evaluator. So tell me what is going gradeless and why should teachers or brand new teachers or veteran teachers consider going gradeless in their classroom. Yeah, I think everybody should consider it. And I hope that someday, uh, I think, first of all, that there was a kind of a um, magnifying glass put on many of the problems in education, Mm -hmm. like inequity and like all kinds of problems that we have in education that a lot of people were talking about, but most people weren't. And, and going gradeless was one of those things. Uh, before the pandemic, I had two, two of my most popular episodes are about going gradeless. And when the pandemic hit, it became so clear how ridiculous grades are mm. and how arbitrary they are. And how do you, teachers were panicking, like, how do I grade when, you know, this kid is trying to take care of their siblings while their right. parents are out working and they only have one computer and five kids on, you know, Zoom school, like, how do I, how can I even do that? And then it it really gave us a window into seeing what our kids' lives are like anyway. 
Right. And also just in general, like way before that, we stopped. I, um, the school that sponsors my podcast that I used to work at is called Arate Preparatory Academy. And we've been going gradeless for ages. Mm. Um, and basically what it means is that instead of giving students a number or a letter for everything that they turn in or that they do, you give them excellent feedback. You give right. them helpful feedback and also the opportunity to fix whatever it is. Not because, you know, well, if you want, you know, you got to see on it, but here's what you can do to fix it, you know, to get the A, um, but really to fix it so that they can actually master the material. Right. And, and, and it's actually kind of a requirement. Like you're not allowed to turn into, like you can turn in whatever, and it doesn't even matter if you fail because you will get the opportunity to fix it. And I think that it takes a huge amount of pressure and anxiety out of the students if you're not grading them. And it, it helps their self-esteem. It helps them open up. It helps them not be afraid to fail. It helps them uh, get deeper into the learning, that they're right. actually curious and they're learning something and not just learning to get the grade or learning to pass a test, which isn't really learning. Sure. Um, so that's the thing. And and it's, uh, you know, in some ways, if you're in elementary school or middle school, it's way easier. The whole schools do not have to give grades. There's no reason why elementary school or middle school should be given grades. None. To do all feedback, student portfolios. Mm -hmm. It's great. High schools for now, and I'm hoping this will change, but for now, a high school has to give us some kind of grade because they have to, you know, for the kids to get into college. And like I said, I really hope that that changes. And I think it will. Right. I think if we worked on student portfolios, that that would be way more powerful than, you know, SATs and, uh, and grades, but, uh, and you'd learn a lot more about who that student was and what they were about. But even if you have to give a grade, so the way that we do it is because we're giving feedback on everything, mm. the students know where they're at. So when you do give that grade, after you've given them like all this feedback and, uh, and narrative comments and so forth, there's no surprise, right? A student knows if they didn't turn in the work, exactly. they're not going to be surprised. You know, so interesting when you were talking about that, I actually got triggered back to a memory. That's so weird. <laughs> I went to school, I went to college at UMass Amherst, but they had this, you know, where you could take classes at any of the tri-college campuses. So I'm like, well, hell yeah, I'm going to take a, a class at Amherst College, which as you know, is an Ivy League, Top yeah. rank school, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, why not? It's right down the street. I took a class there and like you were, they, it was gradeless. All of their classes there were gradeless because they came wow. in. It was just that they came in with the mindset that like, hey, you know, we know that you're capable and that you're competent. And, you know, we want you to be in that space where the emphasis is just learning for mastery. And I had never taken a class like that before. But I, of all the classes that I had taken, I had learned this, the most that I had ever learned because I wasn't stressed out about performing, right? So when we talk about mastery versus performance orientation. And so many of my other classes at UMass Amherst, I was going to, I don't remember what the, the store where I could get all the cliff notes and right. like find out what the master tests were and, you know, going to those office hours and trying to just cram all this information in so that I could perform, but not, exactly. but not master. So 
My yeah. point, we can be doing this with high schools too. Yes. Absolutely. And and it works. And the other thing is, um, I learned this from Jesse Stommel, who mm. um, was on my first episode, which is called Why Grades Fail Us. And he said that he also, what he does is he talks to his students and they come up with the grade together nice. of what they think that they deserve. And they have like a really interesting conversation about that. And so that year, I, that's what I did with my students. And it was amazing. Um, and they, they're mostly really honest. They mostly like really, especially when you give them lots of feedback and they right. know where they're standing. Sometimes they actually even underrate themselves. So as a teacher, I say, I always reserve the right to override what you say, but let's talk about it. And usually they're right on. That's so, awesome. Um, and when you talked yeah. about things like higher order thinking, creativity, you know, reflection, those higher order thinking skills, yeah. how can you really have those if you're not doing those types of things like self-evaluation, right. you know, reflecting on what you did, what you believe that you should, you know, what grade you believe you should uh, receive. And so all of those pieces really do work together to, to build in those types of higher order thinking skills. Right. And if you can imagine, like, especially if you're not giving grades at all, which would be the ideal. And there are schools, I have another episode called Going Gradeless, which is by far my, it's my most popular episode. It's amazing, which is very exciting, actually. Yeah. And it's all about this school that went completely, it's, I think they're K through eight mm -hmm. and they went completely gradeless. It's feedback only, top to bottom. There are no grades, not even at the end of a nothing. And it's amazing. And when you hear with those kids the way they talk and the things they say like just the second graders reflecting on their learning and asking mm -hmm. for critique on you know because they want to reflect on their learning what an amazing concept I don't think I reflected on my learning until you know I was probably in my 40s if that right. <laughs> in that way in that really really constructive growth oriented way absolutely you know, I love it because I think we we're so quick in education to kind of pick on like these trends like grit, growth mindset. Right. But how can you really do those things if your practices don't actually match up? Right. One hundred percent. That's so, so true. Like yeah. and and if your school's culture says that it's student centered or student oriented or we'd want to, you know, whole student or any of that language then grades are the antithesis mm -hmm. of that. And I'm going to lump in another piece to that, which I think is really, really important. And that is tests and quizzes. I haven't given tests or quizzes in, I don't know, 10 years. Like I don't give tests and quizzes because what I do instead is I do authentic and creative assessments. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it gives students the opportunity to show what they know and understand and can do and can transfer in a, in a creative and or authentic way that is meaningful and relevant and will stick with them. It reinforces the, as much as it tells me what they know, it also reinforces the learning for them. And whatever they're presenting or doing anything, it, it reinforces it for everyone else. And absolutely it's uh, and, and it's something they, they just, they never forget those things. And if you ask somebody, you know, like, what was your favorite test that you ah. took? You know, 
it's either the one that they, you know, cheated on and got an A on, right? Got an A on it or whatever. But it was most people don't really have a favorite test, and they couldn't. And even if they did, they say, "Oh, that test I took that I really aced. Oh, it was on it. I don't know. Like <laughs> it was English. I don't remember what was on it. It was math. I don't know because they're they don't really learn the material." when they're just asked to regurgitate the material. If they're not asked to do something where they have to synthesize the ideas mm-hmm. they, or the skills and to use them in a relevant manner, it's not going to stick with them. Absolutely. They have to have a reason for wanting it. So. so let's say that I'm a brand new math teacher. I'm teaching the way that I was taught, which was quiz test, warm up, exit tickets, you name it, I'm doing it. But this whole phenomenon of going gradeless is, I'm curious, what advice would you give to me if I want to maybe just dip my toe in this going gradeless space? Yeah, I think that's, uh, first of all, it's really smart to dip the toe in first and Mm -hmm. and then keep growing it out and growing it out as you become more comfortable. So um, I would start actually one of two ways. One is, you know, the challenge is this. Students right now are performing for the grade. Mm-hmm. And so for them, for the good students, that's like a dopamine rush. Right. And for the not so good students, you know, it, it's irrelevant because they're not doing very well. So I would start by giving them things I call non-cheatable um, tests or non-cheatable activities, right. right? Because my feeling is if a student can cheat on it, then it's not a very good assessment or it's not a very good activity because it's not going to, if they can just cheat on it. And these days, especially when there's a lot of online learning and there's a lot of, you know, people have their, at their fingertips, they can have any information. And um, like essays, when I used to give essays, we would develop them in class and I would come up with the topics with the students so that it was their interest and their work, even if it was about a specific piece of literature or something. So the first thing is make sure to create assessments that are not cheatable. Mm-hmm. And in math, that's going to be more of a challenge, I would say, than in probably any other subject. Right. Uh, so the math teacher is going to have to be a little bit more creative. Absolutely. But I think slowly, I, I think one of the first things that a teacher could do is start by asking the students to work with them to decide what they think They've served, go over the work with them. Right. Um, and go over like what worked for you, what was hard. Like I, if I didn't see your work um, and so I can't really see where you went wrong or I can't see how you got to that example, but if you can talk me through it mm-hmm. and if a teacher doesn't have time to do that with 45 students, uh, Flipgrid is a great right. tool to use for that. And um, that way you can, do it sort of asynchronously and still have kind of a conversation about it, but letting the students in on the process of like what you're looking for and why it's important. I mean, my, my son used to always come up with alternative ways to do math problems and he didn't show his work because he could just do it. He was right. so good at it. And then the teachers would give him points off for it. And they're like, well, you didn't show your work. And I can kind of understand it from a teacher's point of view. Cause they'd be like, well, maybe you were cheating, but he wasn't. And right there in the class, he could do it. He was right in front of them taking this thing. They saw it and they would count him points off, even though he got the right answer. And I feel like as a teacher, I would rather sit down and say, this is amazing. You didn't do this the way I assumed it would be done. Please 
tell me how you did this because that's awesome. And like encourage alternate solutions and how to get there in a different way. Um, I think that's one of the most amazing things about math is the way people's minds all work differently. And so as a teacher, I'd be fascinated by that and could learn a lot mm -hmm. from that. So I think that's the first step is kind of working with the students to say, you know, and you can even say like, I'm not, I'm not going to grade this. I'm going to let you tell me what you think about it. There you go. That's a great yeah. advice. And I love that. I think mm -hmm. I keep reading on social media from these about teachers saying, oh, my kids are using photo math to find the answers. So it's like, well, why are you giving them questions where they can search and like get the answer in one second? Yeah, so I love it. Absolutely. I was just advising a, a one of my student teachers last night and on her lesson, her math lesson, and she was using a graph and having them, you know, share out what they noticed and wondered about the graph. It was based on cryptocurrency. And if there was mm. exponential growth that they observed. And I was like, this is phenomenal. Like, this is great. Yeah. So it all starts with the question, right? Yeah. It, that is really the key. The questions, questions are everything and helping. And, you know, we can talk about that later, but helping students ask really good questions that they're actually curious about mm -hmm. really developing students curiosity that they come with naturally when they're kids you know when we're little kids we're naturally so curious right but then as we get older and go through school it gets kind of squashed out of us absolutely um, you must have watched that ted talk with sir ted uh robinson on diversion robinson yeah I, a million years ago I did. Yeah. A long time ago, but it's, but it's been a thing for me that I've always done. And, and actually, um, yeah. And that's, that's why I developed something called lenses of questioning and it's a methodology and approach to getting students to ask a wider variety of questions, but also to help teachers ask a wider variety of kinds of questions. Cause even as teachers, we kind of get stuck in a kind of question and it's usually, usually close-ended. Right. Um, but even when it's open-ended, then the students who connect with that kind of question uh, are fine. But all the rest of the students who don't connect with that kind of question are tuned out entirely. So that's what happens when you, know, when you get like two kids having a discussion with you, <laughs> no matter how great it is. But um, so that's, that's my way of trying to approach that. So I want to talk to you about the course that you wrote, um, which is called Lens of Questioning. Yeah, Lenses of Questioning. And yeah. I'm just curious about this approach because this is brand new to me and maybe how this approach can support teachers that are new to the profession. Oh, it's fantastic for new teachers. Uh, it's also fantastic for veteran teachers. I've been teaching it. I came up with this. It's basically loosed on this business model called color hats of thinking. Okay. And what I liked about that was that it was like for people in business meetings that they could focus, each group could focus on a different um, kind of area of trying to solve something. So but I, what I was thinking was in education, that's not really, we don't need that in education. What we need is to ask different kinds of questions and to help our students ask different kinds of questions and that's not hats that's and i thought that's the lenses that you see things through mm. what lenses are you wearing when you're learning this piece of text or when you're doing this experiment or when you're you know studying something what are the lenses you're wearing can you focus that and 
so I came up, so there's six colors of lenses and each color represents a different kind of question. One of them, the orange lenses are close-ended and the rest of them are all open-ended kinds of questions, but they are kind of specific categories and ways of focusing the question. So a lot of times, like, you know, I used to go in front of my classes and I would say, you know, give me three good questions on, you know, this. And it was mostly crickets chirping, mm -hmm. you know? And then when I started this methodology, it was amazing. Every student participated in it. Every student was focused, engaged, and it's also really fun. And I'm very into game-based learning. So I also have, you know, I have different activities that a teacher could do with it. And also they can totally come up with their own activities. It's wide open, whatever they think of. Um, but I also have a gaming, I have some games that a, a teacher could play as well, which is a super wonderful way to learn and gets people involved and excited and it's fun. And um, yeah, it's really, so it's, that's, that's the main thing. Yes, yeah, so it's fascinating to hear about the line of questioning, but I'm wondering if you could just bring it down to the granular. Let's say I'm like a sixth grade earth science teacher. What would that look like? Okay, that's great. Um, so each lens is a different color, and I actually have these kits that people don't need to do this. They can make their own, but they're actually these glasses with different colors. So just I'll give you some examples, like orange would be the closed data questions, the facts, right? Okay. That's the closed questions. And so if you were doing earth science, let's say you're doing a unit on like water conservation or something. Um, so an orange question might be something like, what country is leading the way in solutions and what are they doing, right? I call wow. orange questions like Googleable, right? Because you could just Google that, you could figure right. it out, research it, and there's an answer, right? There's a definite answer. But a blue question is something that is um, bigger themes and uh, processes and sort of like the big ideas, right? I and see. so a blue question might be something like, you know, why is water essential? Okay. Right? And that's like a big, that could lead to like a big discussion. It, you know, it's got lots of answers. It's open-ended. Uh, and then there's a green, which is... Uh, green is like imaginative questions. Mm. Those are oh, I love things it. like alternate solutions, kind of like the what if questions, right? So if you were doing green, you could do something like what would happen if the world supply of clean water were drastically depleted, mm. right? So you have to know something to do that, right? You have to, and even that's a great follow-up question to the last blue question, right? What's essential and what would happen? Um, but you can also say, like, what are potential solutions in times of drought besides just cutting down on water usage? And that can lead to, like, these are, by the way, perfect for project-based learning. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a good kind of question. Yellow are um, beneficial questions, positive outcomes, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's very positive things. So, like, what are the benefits of understanding the water systems? Mm. You know, something to get students to think about. But then we have gray, which is also really important, which is the challenges, the problems, the warnings, kind of things like that. So you could do something like, um, what are the challenges in trying to conserve water? Right. Um, and then red 
is you could probably guess this one. It's like emotional. Yes. Good, right? Intuitive, intuitive things. Um, impact, mm. about impact on on people or things, anything that deals with impact. Um, so for red, you could do something like what is the emotional impact of drought or flooding on a community? Wow, um, this is blowing my mind right now. I'm not just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been working in teacher ed for a really long time and it's often feels like we're trying to like put pieces of a puzzle together. Like, oh, you have your essential questions. Right. And how are you going to build social emotional learning in? And, you know, how are you going to build? And it's like you're doing all of that in one space. What a great right. tool to even just start thinking about planning based on these questions. Right. So, so, so the teacher can do these kinds of questions and go through and make sure they're doing all of these kinds of questions. Cause then you're going to reach every student right. that relates to a certain kind of question. But then the exciting part is uh -oh. I have all these activities and games where you actually model for your students, you train them for mm. them to be able to ask this huge array of questions. Wow. Super important. I think that's equally as if not more important than what the, kinds of questions the teacher so it's a kind of a double thing you've got the teacher asking better questions and then you have the students asking these great questions so what I found is that a lot of times uh students when I ask them for questions they would ask what I call teacher questions right say that with quotes around it because a teacher question with the quotes is content-based mm -hmm. it's something where they could just look right in the text or you know whatever and find the answer and I say to them, well, why is that your question? Because can't you just look that right up? It's right there. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, I want a question about something you're actually curious about. So even if you give me an orange question, which is the data-driven, don't take it from the text. What's a question that you could look up that isn't obvious? Right. To like, spark well, interest. To spark interest. Yeah, to spark interest and curiosity. So I love even it. orange question can do that. So it's really fun and uh and it comes with, you know, when you either make the glasses or you can get the kit with the glasses. Uh it's it's fun. It's got a if you get a kit or again you can make it with a dye. It's got a little special dye in it that has wow. all the so yeah, so it comes that and with the games they can play. So I actually am teaching a course. I've I've been teaching this workshop all over. I, I taught it throughout the UK. I taught it throughout the United States. Dang. I've been doing it since 2015. But then I thought, well, you know what? I should just make an asynchronous course that teachers could just take and on their own, on their own leisure, do the activities. It's a little different because usually the teachers collaborate together, but, um, but still it would be really helpful. And so that's what I did. I created this course. That um, sounds amazing. Like I want to yeah. take this course. It's so cool how you put all that together. What was the creative process like for you? Were you just like in the shower and you're like, I have an idea. <laughs> no, actually it's a weirder story than that. It's way too long to tell, but the bottom line is I was, I was at a conference teaching in England, in the UK. Um, and there, I, in addition to that, I do a lot of things for teens. I've created these games mm. uh, for teens. And so one of my sessions was playing these games with all of these teenagers. And one of the teenagers loved one of my games so much that he wanted his mom to buy it because his mom was also an educator. Nice. And so, um, and this is a game, I do these games about big philosophical ideas. 
So about they're fun. So she happened to be an educator and she asked me, I don't know what it was apropos of anything about if I'd heard about the six, the, or the color hats of thinking. Mm. And I had, so that night when I got back to my room, uh, I looked it up and I was like, this is amazing. Right. I'm gonna, and then, so for a while I kind of thought of it as hats, but then that was the shower moment when I went, it's not about hats. <laughs> it's about the way you see things. It's about the lenses that we see things through. Right. So that's when I changed, you know, I, I came up with the lenses of questioning. I love it. I mean, it's so novel and it, it touches on all of those higher order thinking skills. I think typically we tend to look at blooms as our go-to, but blooms right. has so many, so many things that just really don't even inspire our kids to want to learn that just are right. so like you're saying, we're in the age of Google. Like what's the point? Right. No wonder right. why kids get apathetic about learning when they know that it just, it, it seems like it's meaningless. Right. Right. That's so that, and that's the thing is I want it to be relevant. Mm-hmm. And if they get to ask the questions and their questions, the other thing about this method it. that I really love is they have to analyze mm. the questions. So for instance, like if they're playing a game or something and one of the people gets this question and they read it out loud and the, the team that made up the question thought it was a blue question. And the person who reads it's like, this is not a blue question. And, you know, then they'll ask like, what color do you think it is? They have to analyze the question, like what kind of question it is. And in analyzing the question, and then they have to support, you know, why they think it belongs, you know, in the green category and not the blue category. And so in doing that, they also are, you know, stretching those little analyzation muscles and, uh, and having to think about the answers as well. Absolutely. I love it. We've been in my home with my seventh grader. He's been on Ed Puzzle every day. It's just like yeah. Ed Puzzle burnout. Like, can we move on, yeah. please? Yeah. But here's the thing with Ed Puzzle, because I actually really love Ed Puzzle, although you can't use it all the time. But I go on to most teachers' Ed Puzzles, and they're all comprehension questions. Right. They are all, you know, what did you just see? Spit back what you yes. just saw. Right. And if you didn't get it right, you just go back and watch it again and get the right answer. That's what we've been doing. Right. So I use Ed Puzzle with lenses of questioning. Actually, it's part of my course. I show how Um, I show how to use it with a lot of different tech tools as well. And um, one of the things I do is Ed Puzzle. And I talk about like what you can do with lenses questioning where you they watch a bit and then you say, okay, what is your blue and green question about Mm. this section? right? What is your orange question that you can't find out from this information? You got this piece of information. What more do you want to know that they didn't tell you? That's your orange question, right? And I also, even when I'm not doing it with lenses of questioning, everything's open-ended and I do things like they have as a, to write something. They have to do something with it. I, you know, I have a whole one on um, iambic pentameter mm. and writing sonnets and you know, by the end, they've done the whole process. So then by the end, they get to the video, they've now written a whole sonnet. That to me is way more interesting than just saying like, what did Shakespeare say? about? You know? Right. Yes. Amen. And I'll tell you that leads to Zoom fatigue. Like you just yes. get that. Wow. Yes. I, you just blew my mind. I'm so glad <laughs> that we had you on the show today talking about going gradeless and lens of questioning. These are definitely 
Paths to Overthrowing Education, which is why your podcast name just is so appropriate. But tell us, what does the future hold for you? And what's next for New Lens Ed? Well, I don't, nobody, one thing this pandemic taught me is nobody can predict the future. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it actually holds, but what I'm working towards, that I can tell you. Awesome. <laughs> so um, with New Lens Ed, I'm giving workshops, like I said, all over the country. And, and now that people know you can have a good workshop online, um, that's what I'm doing. Uh, once we can go in person, hopefully I'll be able to do both. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And, and I do a lot of coaching and mentoring. And I do all of that through New Lens Ed. And uh, I'm developing more courses. I'm, um, I'm going to, you know, I've done the Lens as a Questioning course. I'm going to take some of the other things that I do and turn those into some asynchronous courses as well. But the other main thing that I'm working on right now is I'm writing a book about creative and authentic assessments because it's such a passion of mine and I love it. And I really just want to share that practical, practical tools of what teachers can do like right away. You know, not, it's not theory. It's not just out there. It's super practical. So that's what I'm working on. I love it. And that's something that no matter what subject you're teaching, you can benefit from, you know, and really hone in on those 21st century skills that our kids really need today. Exactly. Exactly. And then the last thing, of course, is just my podcast. So I love doing the podcast. It's wonderful and it's so much fun. So, and yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to put a link to your course and your podcast, Overthrowing Ed, in the show notes. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Bitsheva. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you. I really appreciate coming and getting to hang out with you. Yay. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>